Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Monday, March 9th, and this is your FT News Briefing. About 16 million people are locked down in Italy's wealthy northern region in an effort to contain the spread of the coronavirus. And one of the largest banks in the foreign exchange market is cutting a huge portion of its trading platforms. Plus, we'll take a look as the EU and Turkey battle over the plight of Syrian refugees. But first, last week's proposed oil production cuts by OPEC collapsed, triggering a plunge in the oil price. The FT's Anjali Raval explains the backdrop. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. So OPEC and Russia were meeting on Friday, and in theory, all they had to do was sign off on something that had been agreed by Saudi Arabia and its OPEC peers. But this ultimatum that was issued by the kingdom essentially backfired. Russia said, nope, we're not going to sign up. The reason for that, on the surface of it, they said they wanted to see what the real impact of coronavirus would be on oil demand. That was the impression they gave in the meeting. But actually, there was a sense that there was something bigger at hand. Really, what Russia was doing was saying, you know what, this is an opportunity for us to hit at US shale companies. Any production cuts that big producers such as OPEC and Russia were enacting were only benefiting these producers on the other side of the world And actually, you know what, we're done with doing them. And so they wanted to get at these companies, but also they wanted to, you know, get at the US economy. Russia has been under sanctions. The energy industry in Russia has been under US sanctions. And this was an opportunity for them to hit right back. And Anjali, how did Saudi Arabia react to this? Almost immediately, Saudi Arabia has slashed the prices of its crude going to Europe, going to the US, going to Asia. The interesting thing here is that the steep cuts to barrels going to Europe is primarily to hit at Russia. So it's a sort of tit for tat going on right here. It's a way of saying, look, you wanted a price war? Here you go. This is what you're going to have to play up against. Brent crude dropped 30% as the markets opened, dropping as low as $31.52. U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate fell to a low of $30 a barrel. And the sharp drop for oil sent shockwaves through global financial markets. U.S. stock futures tumbled in Asian trading and Asia-Pacific equities fell sharply at the open, with Sydney's S&P ASX 200 down 6.8% in early trading. Tokyo stocks fell below the benchmark Nikkei average of 20,000, nearly 5%, for the first time in 14 months on opening. One key reason for the crippled demand for oil can be seen in what's happening in Europe's third largest economy. On Sunday, Italy's Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte put massive restrictions in the country's northern region, a lockdown that impacts about 16 million people in the Lombardy region and its capital, Milan. It covers some of the most economically productive areas of the country and the Eurozone as a whole. So now there will be limits on entering and exiting certain areas of the country from this region. Museums, gyms, schools, and universities are all closed. Ski resorts, too. The lockdown is expected to go until April 3rd at the earliest and will also affect cities in neighboring regions such as Parma, Modena, Padua, and Venice. There have been more than 7,000 confirmed coronavirus cases in Italy. More than 350 people have died. These recorded figures are second only to China, where the outbreak began. 
Last week, Italy's healthcare minister announced a 7.5 billion euro stimulus package to help lessen the effects of the coronavirus on the country's economy. There are growing concerns about how Italy's healthcare system will react to the outbreak, and some worry this could push the country into a recession. And now a story about how one of the biggest banks in the currency market is learning to say no to customers. Citi is one of the largest dealers in the more than $6.5 trillion foreign exchange market. For nearly 20 years, Citigroup signed up to a host of trading platforms to compete with other banks on prices to win foreign exchange business from clients. The idea was to get on every possible platform in order to meet customers where they were. Now the bank is looking to get back some control and will cut back on the number of third-party websites and systems it uses where other banks are. It comes after an internal review found the bulk of those platforms didn't provide value for the money they cost the bank. Citi expects to save millions of dollars a year in costs, this after years of shrinking margins and growing complexity in currency trading. At least two other major banks are reviewing their use of external systems, too. So what does this mean for the trading systems themselves? Larger systems like FXL, which is owned by Reuters, should still get strong support from banks. But the smaller systems are expected to struggle. And here's a story you should know more about. Back in 2015, Europe was hit with a pressing question. How would the bloc handle the more than one million migrants hitting its shores? Most were trying to flee Syria's bloody civil war and risked the dangerous journey over the Mediterranean Sea. Thousands died trying to take this route. Others passed through Turkish land borders. So in 2016, the EU said it would pay 6 billion euros to Turkey as part of a migrant resettlement plan. Refugees arriving at Europe's gateways would be turned back and housed in Turkey. But there have been complications in the deal. Turkey's Recep Tayyip Erdogan has now said he will no longer stop Syrian refugees from entering Europe unless his country receives more aid from Europe. I spoke to the FT's Turkey correspondent, Laura Patel, and our Brussels correspondent, Marine Khan, for more on this. So, Laura, can you explain the story a little bit? What exactly is happening with Turkey right now? We're seeing this flare up now because of the crisis in Idlib in Syria, primarily. The Syrian regime in Idlib has been pushing to regain ground. Idlib is the last rebel-held province in Syria, and President Bashar al-Assad wants to reclaim that territory. And he's been undertaking a massive Russian-backed offensive there that has displaced hundreds of thousands of people from their homes. The offensive has pushed a lot of people up towards the Turkish border with Syria. The border is closed, but Turkey has been basically the only country that's been wading in militarily to fend off the Syrian-Russian assault. The main reason it's been doing that is because Turkey is very frightened about a new wave of refugees coming into the country. President Erdogan is facing growing public hostility to their continued presence, and he really feels that he can't take a new group of people. So for that reason, Turkey has been expending a lot of money, a lot of effort and a lot of risk in fighting off this offensive. Um, and President Erdogan has been clamoring for international support. Now, Laura, we should note that last week, Mr. Erdogan and Russia's president, Vladimir Putin, met and agreed on a Idlib ceasefire. But it's unclear how long it will last, what this means for the flow of refugees. Now, today, Mr. Erdogan is headed to Brussels to ask for more financial aid to help with refugees. This is fresh off a less than encouraging response from the EU last week. Yeah, so EU foreign ministers held an emergency meeting in Zagreb on Friday 
And they basically concluded that they weren't going to send any more money to Turkey to help deal with its refugees for the time being, because they were effectively all very annoyed at President Erdogan for what they saw as threats to force more help out of them. Josep Borrell, who's Brussels' top diplomat, attacked Mr. Erdogan for these threats, and he said that they were an unacceptable way to push for further support. Okay, so Maureen, how do EU member states feel individually about this situation? There is a lot of hostility towards Erdogan's actions. And, you know, one of the things that the EU member states are united on is that they will not immediately be seen to be giving into blackmail. However, there are countries in the EU, and notably Germany is probably the most important one, which understands that Mr Erdogan is completely essential in preventing another 2015 crisis from happening because they still need him to play ball. There are some obvious divisions among the member states. So unsurprisingly, Greece and Cyprus are arguing to take the toughest possible line with with Mr Erdogan and to effectively say that this deal is dead and will not be revived. However, Angela Merkel, Germany, the Netherlands, lots of other northern European countries and also France are sort of pushing back and saying we have to at some point deal with Mr Erdogan again. So they are coming up or at least looking at ways to come up with some creative solutions about the ways to inject a bit more cash into this deal. And so politically, I think it's a matter of time and they will not immediately, you immediately will not be seen to be giving in to Turkey's demands. And Maureen, aside from the hard feelings against Turkey right now, why is the EU hesitant to fund this uh, refugee resettlement program? One of the reasons it's probably even more difficult to do a deal or a cash deal with Turkey is because the EU is having its own internal problems about how it wants to finance itself for the next seven years. So under the EU-Turkey arrangement, that was done under a previous European budget which lasted seven years. That budget runs out at the end of this year and for the next seven years, EU leaders have to spend probably another few months working out how big they need that budget to be and then of that, how much they could allocate to all the other things the EU does, including, you know, farming subsidies, including other parts of external and foreign policy that they have to support. So that makes the situation or the conversation about cash even more difficult, um, almost triply difficult if you're sitting in Brussels and you have to sort of work out the sort of, you know, the trade-offs that are going to have to be made in the eventual budget. However, in comparison to the size of the EU budget, the money that will be given to Turkey, which will probably be in the very low billions, is a tiny, tiny, tiny proportion of what the overall amount of the EU budget will be. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. And one more thing before we go, we want to hear from you, our listeners, about what you like about the FT News Briefing and what we can do to make it better. Please go to FT.com slash briefing survey and fill out our survey for a chance to win a pair of Bose QuietComfort noise-canceling headphones. Again, that's FT.com slash briefing survey. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation... 
Partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.